Welcome to Trends with Benefits, real estate investing with Dale Creed Francis and Ryan Litvin. We strive to bring an open, honest, and transparent approach to real estate investing by informing and educating listeners about the real-world benefits, issues, and challenges investors need to know when it comes to direct participation real estate. This podcast is where you can learn the latest trends, innovations, and opportunities available to help build wealth, create income, and diversify your portfolio. So get ready for another informative, fast-paced, and entertaining episode of Trends with Benefits. And we are in part three of our three-part series of Trends with Benefits, DPRE, Direct Participation Real Estate. And we'll go right into part three here. If you haven't heard part one or two, I encourage you to do that because they all pretty much flow together here. But we're going to talk about DPRE potential benefits here now, the return potential risk factors, and so on. And so all investments, pre you know, they present a potential for return and risk. So while considering DPRE investments for your portfolio, you should apply due diligence to evaluate factors bearing on whether these type of DPRE investments can serve your investment objectives and your goals. And the next several topics that we're going to cover can help you organize the most important factors that ultimately bear on the DPRE returns and risks and so on, right? I think the first topic, you know, there's there's quite a few, but passive versus active real estate investing. Mm -hmm. You know, the media, talking heads, whatever we want to call them, especially the, you know, those television-driven programs, they've popularized active real estate investing. They've give thick, I mean, look at all the shows that are out there. Yeah. I uh, can't skip and whatever, you know, these people, is that right? Skip and- I, No, I know who you mean. You're, you're talking about ones where they, they fix and they flick. The fix and flip things. projects, right? I said flick and flip. Flip, flip, flick, whatever they're doing. <laughs> they're doing stuff to houses. Everything from demolition to renovation to decorating, right? This whole, they give it this whole glamorous yeah. aurora, really. But their abbreviated and often speculative revenue and income projections add the prospect for profit, even though fix and flip profits have recently declined in the United States. It's a great concept, but profits have declined. Glamorize, you know, they've glamorized these fix and flip televised programs. They don't air the disappointments, right? They don't have the, they might have a blooper segment, but they don't have the bad projects, right? They don't have the disappointments that some fix and flippers endure when their projects result in actual losses beyond the amount of the amount of money that they put in. And some of them might even do it just for the, you know, the payment of the TV shows and stuff too. But sure. a lot of people take it in the rears if you don't do it right. Yeah. You can look at, I'd say many fail versus some, you know, it, you're talking about a whole different thing. You're talking about trying to buy single family houses at enough discount to then put in a lot of work, a lot of money, to then hope that during that period of time you've created enough value to then sell it for a profit, and that becomes really and tough. that's a, a whole topic we can get into. Be, a lot of you know, there's a like locally here in the Twin Cities area, uh, there's a lot of sellers who don't even want to sell to the fix and flippers. They want a letter from a family that says why they want to buy, and you know that's the kind of market you're in yeah. uh, recently here too, yeah. but. This active real estate investing, again, from do-it-yourself fix and flip to commercial and residential ownership with hired managers and laborers, 
All of those can potentially yield profits. The active real estate winners are people with special skills, tools, equipment, networking that aids efficient operations. Moreover, I think a choice favoring active real estate investment means a choice about how you spend your time and allocate your talents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because most prospective real estate investors they really can't justify the time and talent commitment to active investing. I mean, they've built up some of their wealth, whatever wealth means to you, right? And they want to put it to work for themselves, and they want to put it to work in a, a non-correlated hard asset that doesn't move with their stocks and bonds. So the potentially more profitable, more defensible alternative, if you will, is passive investive, investing. And passive investors... There's a few bullets here. And before we do that, what we mean by passive investing is passive investing in direct participation real estate, not passive investing, you know, in my opinion, from just throwing your money into a REIT or some sort of real estate claimed mutual fund. Rather, that's not what we're discussing here. You can do whatever you want with your money. That's your choice. What we're, we're discussing here is passive investing, but still in the direct participation real estate world. Yeah. So here's four bullets that apply to passive investors. When it comes to real estate, they don't need to wear a dusk mask or swing a hammer. But you can if you want to. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can if it's just fun. <laughs> Next one, don't assume risk beyond the invested amount. That's a big point. Let's cover a that little That is more. a big amount uh, or a big amount, but that is a big point because oftentimes, you know, with different business ventures or private placements or these, you know, these offerings that are out there, there's certain guidelines, right? You've mm -hmm. got to be an accredited investor and, you know, they're protecting investors against, you know, risking capital that they can't lose. And in some of those ventures, and in, well, there's a lot of ventures that are out there where there's some things called capital calls where you can have to inject more money than what you initially invested. So in this case, in passive direct participation real estate, you're not assuming risk beyond the invest the initial investment amount that you made. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's huge and that's another one of those where if if that's a big issue for you or you have more questions, just get a hold of us. You can go to vincentcompaniesmn.com or our number 612-424-8650 and we can talk about those things. Right, because any investment that's out there there is a risk of loss. I mean, you can, you know, every, I think every document that I've looked at and invested in whatever in the private placement world will always have the disclaimers. You have to be able to bear the risk of your entire investment. That's why for me, you have to look behind that. Okay. Okay. I get that. That's the disclaimer. And is that a possibility? Well, sure it can be, but who am I working with? What's the asset of the, you know, what, what's the underlining asset? In this case, mm -hmm. it's real estate. Mm -hmm. And we always encourage people to read the potential risks, but you kind of joke with people and you say, I bet you've read every page of every prospectus of every mutual fund you've ever bought. And well, they laugh. Well, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, the disclosures and all that stuff is of course important, but um, the underlining parameters of the deal and understanding those things is, is very, very important. It is to me. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, you, you get those books out there on prospectuses and I think they overcomplicate it and that maybe forces people not to read it. So they yeah. don't know exactly yeah. what they're getting into. And I'm going to encourage you to read it, you know, yeah. and encourage you to read those things. Okay. Point three related to passive real estate investors. They benefit from the professional skills of full-time real estate professionals. That includes lawyers, accountants, commercial real estate lenders and brokers and contractors and 
professional investors who've done it for decades. These professionals, they deliver services through a, an, a typically, you might say an LLC, some sort of a, uh, of a partnership where it is owning the actual hard asset. There could be limited partnerships, LLCs, or some other legal entity designed for the purpose of investing in that commercial real estate. And everybody's going to have their take on this, but for me, I prefer the LLC versus a limited partnership. That's not advice to anybody out there. That's just for me. Um, I see more protections uh, that you've got, uh, like what we discussed earlier. You don't assume risk beyond the uh, investment amount. Yeah. Bullet point four here with relates to passive real estate investors. You can perform due diligence by gathering and analyzing facts related to specific commercial properties, whether it's a multifamily property, a senior living community. You can look at the history of it, of the sponsor, the, the investment firm behind it, the people behind it and use verifiable and readily available sources to do that. So that's a positive in my perspective as well. So any more to add with that, Ryan? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about primary barriers to successful investing. Now there are four of these that we've listed as well. Okay. This is actually, we're taking this from a booklet called uh, evidence-based investing trends with benefits. We call it the EBI booklet report. This is free for you if you request it. This is not a marketing piece. This is a facts-driven, data-driven piece that is very, very informative. So what are these principal barriers? Insolvency, volatility, inflation, and taxes. Let's cover those four as we go. So asset allocation, can, it addresses the don't put your all, all your eggs in one basket adage, okay? It works to reduce the impact of insolvencies and protracted business slowdowns, which do happen. Diversification reduces price volatility. Inflation diminishes purchasing power regardless of other economic factors. It does. And, you know, that's something that you really, you know, you've really got to look at. The insolvency issue is an interesting one, and there's a lot of data in this booklet because you can say, well, what if what if what if it goes bankrupt? Of course, that that's that's one of the or, or the mortgage default, I should say. Well, of course, that's a possibility. But if you look at mortgage delinquencies in the average uh, household type of home ownership. It's way, way higher than the commercial real estate, and, it, and that, that's been steady all the way through the worst economic downturns. So if you look at uh, a house foreclosures, delinqu mortgage delinquencies versus apartment building delinquencies, they're like night and day, even right through the, the, the horrible, horrible um, Great Recession that we had. Mm -hmm. So that is, I guess... You know, it's one of those things that you look at, but how much do you put into it? Well, you put some thought into it, but certainly the the delinquencies in this space are much less than your typical place. So in our opinion, DPRE investments, they can mitigate portfolio volatility in, in future economic crises because they're better. They do that better than paper assets typically because DPRE returns are non-correlated with those paper assets. They're a hard asset. So instead of everything, say in the stock market, which are all paper assets, all going down or going up together, we see a lot more stability in those actual hard assets. 
Another main source of risk is market price volatility. Investors can add, like you said, Dale, stability by thoughtfully looking at different investment options to non-correlated or low-correlated assets to other asset classes that they have. You know, you select these assets with capacity to to reprice. You know, you look at the last decade through the Great Recession, correlations of paper assets, including stocks, REITs, you know, they rose dramatically. Even though the correlation between bonds and stocks is normally zero, the re- you know, this this rush to shed the financial risk of paper assets led to an extraordinary increase in the bond to stock correlation, you know, through those time frames. So correlation is a big thing. And I, I just really want to hit on that because hard assets, diversifying, choosing different investment options for me, uh, reduces that correlation. And does it uh, reduce the risk? That's anybody's argument. For me, I believe it does. Uh, and that's that's something that's important to me. I, it always brings me back to the story of a guy a few years ago who said, I just don't understand why you'd want non-correlation from your stocks. I th- think you'd want it all correlated to, with your stock. He's taking a period of time where they were going up. Oh, it just I mean, well, just like recently, somebody said to me, yeah, you know, I, you know, that's I, I've done some real estate in the past, and I probably will again when I quit getting thirty percent in the market. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> when I get tired of that, or you something, shouldn't do it. You should do nothing. This is not investment advice, but you should do nothing else if you're getting thirty percent year after year in the stock market. If you're doing that. I don't know. Sell your system. Don't tell anybody. What I, I don't know. Well, we joke. Donate to charity. <laughs> I joked with him a little because he said he had a system, and I said, "Oh yeah, I know it too. Buy low, sell high." Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I mean, that's that's what he's talking about. So, next one, inflation. We won't spend a ton of time on this, but inflation can eat into your profits, your returns, um, so much that there again, hard assets like. Real estate and commercial real estate tend to fare better through various different economic times than most than paper assets because of that. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to uh, the next one is so after inflation, taxes probably have the greatest potential to limit growth, income and wealth preservation. So what do you what do you do there? Well, we strongly encourage prospective DPRE investors to consult with a tax advisor because we're not that. And and DPRE investments, though, can offer significant tax benefits. Well, for one, they're uh, typically available for IRAs these days. You can. You can use a self-directed IRA to invest in real estate. That's not a direct reflection of a tax benefit of real estate, but rather it's earning a return, potential return that you don't have to pay tax on now. Correct. You can defer that uh, and have, be under uh, maybe a you know I'm not a tax advisor, but be under a different tax classification when you withdraw money from that IRA in the future. So, using an IRA for some people, they've chosen to do so. For those that don't and use a cash investment, uh, if they can use it appropriately, there's depreciation that's gained or that's that's used or utilized as a tool with real estate that can offset other passive. Uh, real estate income or return aspects. So there's kind of a dual thing there. I'll dig a little bit deeper on that one. So when you expenses that are associated with direct real estate ownership pass through to investors, they don't with a REIT. So when you have actual ownership in, in the property, those expenses can pass through. Now, these expenses can offset current tax liabilities that are created from income and capital gains. Mm-hmm. The expenses include that depreciation, the mortgage interest, and the operating costs. So Ryan talked about how 
depreciation applies to this. It applies to the building, not the land. But tax laws also, they ha- there's a provision for accelerated depreciation, which can enable faster depreciation for building contents. Again, we're not tax people, uh, tax professional CPAs like that. We have those on our team. But those are just some of the overall ways that uh, investors look at these you know, be- different benefits to real estate. Well, let's kind of uh, recap yes. or bring this third segment of DPRE. Informed investors, I think, who recognize the potential direct real estate investments offer, capitalize on an opportunity for growth, income, and wealth preservation. And as much as DPRE can deliver these investment benefits, it presents other important benefits that I think that we should discuss here, too, before we wrap things up. According to one source, and you can get this source from us, apartments and the people who live in them contribute daily at least $35.1 million to the Minnesota economy. Mm -hmm. According to one source, again, I'm going to say this, apartments and the people who live in them contribute almost $35 million a day to the Minnesota economy. That's because it's become such a strong segment of the housing market. And that might not be you, and it's not me. I I, I I can't live in an apartment, right? And that might not be you that's listening to this podcast. But look at the data, and that's what we're covering, right? Yeah, and you listen to, that, to part one or part two, and we talk about that, or get this booklet from apartments, us, the CBI book. Apartments serve the residential needs of residents in local communities here in Minnesota, including seniors who require special services in the form of memory care and assisted living. Multi-family construction employs skilled workers in high-paying local jobs and presents a meaningful source of employment, which also helps the economy. So now what you say, okay, I've listened to the three part series about this. Well, at a time when demographic and economic trends present extraordinary potential DPRE investments offer a way to passively participate in assets with a history of non-correlation with other asset classes, growth, income, and wealth preservation, including potential returns that can far exceed other investments. There's tax benefits. There's risk management sides to it, meaningful participation in the lives of people in your local communities. DPRE presents an opportunity for investors burdened with paper asset portfolios to lighten the load. So here at Vincent Real Estate, we're a fully integrated real estate division of our Vincent companies. And Vincent Real Estate acquires and develops senior living communities, multi-family apartment buildings, around, in and around the suburban communities surrounding the Twin Cities. So why do we have all this data? Because disclosure, we're actively involved heavily in real estate acquisition, real estate construct, per, uh, development, owning apartments, senior housing, these things, creating opportunities for the right people, for investors to consider whether direct participation in real estate might serve their goals and objectives. We apply a brief qualifying process. Part of that process determines whether investors are accredited. Here's some of the criteria to give you as accredited investors for individuals and couples, according to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. You've got at least 200000 in gross income for the past two years and an expectation that that will continue next year or this year. As a couple, you have 300000 annual income and the expectation you'll earn at this level in the current year. That's one qualification. 
or you can have a net worth exceeding $1 million for an individual or a couple, excluding the equity in your primary house. Third thing you can do, general partners, executive officers, and directors of issuers of unregistered securities are considered accredited investors as well. So those are some criteria you can search. Go to the Google machines, type accredited investor, type SEC guidelines, whatever you want to do um, to get a full list of those things. Learn more about Vincent Companies and the Trends with Benefits podcast at vincentre.com or trendswithbenefitspodcast.com. You can also give us a call at 612-424-8650 or submit questions at info at vincentre.com. And we really look forward to meeting you soon.